Welcome to PA Centered, a podcast designed to help listeners be a part of the solution to end sexual harassment, abuse, and assault. Each episode, we will take on a topic or current event to help spark conversation and break down barriers to building communities free from sexual violence. Jackie Strom, I use she and her pronouns, and I'm the Prevention and Resource Coordinator at the Pennsylvania Coalition Against Rape. I'll be your host today as we're joined by PCAR and NSVRC staff to share with us their experience, training on trans topics, and how we can be part of the solution to end transphobia. Karen Galbraith is the Training Projects Coordinator with PCAR. Miller Hoffman is the Contract Liaison with PCAR and Louie Marvin is the training specialist with the National Sexual Violence Resource Center. Welcome Karen, Miller, and Louie. Hey Jackie, thanks for having us. Hi everyone. Hi Jackie and everyone, this is Miller. Hey Jackie, thanks for having us. Glad to be here with Karen and Miller. Yeah, I'm so excited for us to have this conversation and I want us to start by talking about training. So I know that PCAR developed a transcultural humility training, and each of you has had the opportunity to facilitate it. And there are some things about this training that make it different than some other trainings people might be used to related to trans topics. So could you start by telling us a little bit about what the training is and how it's different from other trainings? Sure, thanks Jackie. This is Karen, I use she and her pronouns. And I think one of the things that's really great about this training is that it was developed collaboratively uh, by Miller and Louie and by our former um, training director, Annie Gephardt. And they just have done such a great job of creating a training that um, really helps to give the attendees the language to talk about trans issues themselves. Um, the, the training really comes at this conversation with a lot of humility. Um, there's a lot of humor built into it. Um, it's really responsive to the needs of the people in attendance, you know, sort of doesn't assume a knowledge base or anything like that. And also, I think, attends to the needs of those folks who do have some knowledge around trans issues. Um, but also, you know, just really responsive to what's happening in the world. Um, you know, we try to adjust the t- content based on what's happening within current events and things like that. Again, to just really give the f- folks in the in the crowd, the, the people that are attending the training, new ways to be thinking about trans topics and new ways to be talking about them. Um, so I think what we'd often seen in different types of trainings was, you know, just sort of this this idea of like, oh, if we're talking about gender identity or something like that, that we're only talking about trans people. And so this training, for example, really introduces the concept that like we all have gender identity. And so instead of sort of, you know, coming at this from sort of an othering perspective, almost sort of talking about these issues about how they apply, you know, across the board to all of us. And so let's talk about it in that type of inclusive kind of way. I think we also really strive to, um, you know, let folks know that the way we're talking about, you know, things may not be the way that other folks would talk about them. And so, you know, it can be really dependent upon, you know, that person's lived experience, um, you know, how they choose 
to um, identify whether they choose to, you know, share pronouns that day or not share pronouns that day, for example. So really coming at it, you know, with this concept of, you know, humility, as opposed to you're going to attend this training and know all the things. No, maybe you'll attend this training and learn some things, but you're not going to walk away with all the answers because hopefully we've demonstrated that that we're constantly learning and that um, we're constantly evolving in our understand or evolving in our understanding. Um, just you know, whether it's the language that we're using or you know how we understand biology and all of that kind of thing that it's that's sort of constantly changing, and so we want to be open to the fact that you know, we may not know all the answers and we might learn a lot from the folks that are in attendance, you know, and what their experiences have been. One of the other things I really like about this training, you know, as I mentioned, we, we really try to meet people where they are in these trainings. And so what we found is, you know, if we're doing training with, you know, a particular rape crisis center or something, um, there could even within a small group be like a wide range of understanding and a wide range of knowledge. And so, you know, we come in, we absolutely try to, um, you know, get everybody on the same page and, and sort of introduce folks to what is sort of maybe a foundational level of understanding. But then also for those folks that, that already have some knowledge or some expertise, we try to kind of muddy that up a little bit. We try to complicate what they may think they know. And sort of, again, it's about really being humble in what we know, sort of teasing things out to recognize that, you know, these issues and these conversations are a lot more complicated than sometimes we make them out to be. Um, and we don't want to present ourselves as the folks that have all the answers because we, you know, we don't, um, but try to, you know, use that sort of, sort of model that humility and use a lot of humor um, to sort of continue these conversations. Yeah, Karen, this is Louie, and um, I use he, him pronouns, and thanks for that overview of the training. And it makes me think that something that I think is really cool about it is that um, I'm thinking of one particular training that Miller and I did where we even looked at an organization's policies and some documents to understand where they were coming from and incorporate it into the training. And it was clear that they had done a lot of thinking about trans topics. And so we were able to kind of say, this is where we think you could do some more thinking. This is where we think you did a really good job. Um, and this is where um, maybe a more recent policy doesn't match an older policy. And so, yeah, that that flexibility and that meeting people where they're at is a really important part of, part of what we're trying to do. And Louis, you just reminded me, I think one of my favorite parts of the training and what we try to do is really help folks consider um, how they can integrate what they're learning into what they're doing. So whether it's policy review, like Louis was saying, or considering, you know, their intake forms and how the information they're gathering um, at intake or even throughout their, you know, relationship um, with a survivor. It's like, why do you need to ask all these questions? And how could you ask them differently to give folks the opportunity to share with you what they want to share with you, as opposed to pigeonholing people or, you know, forcing folks to make choices that don't actually match um, their identity or match how they're feeling or match what they want to communicate about themselves. I want to pick up on something that, Karen, you said a little bit ago about 
um, how these answers are sort of complicated and complex. And one of the ways that I feel like as we're presenting, we're always trying to be really mindful of and talk about is how we're all experts and none of us are experts. And there's lots and lots of ways for folks, even folks within genderqueer and trans communities, even folks who are uh, genderqueer and uh, non-binary and trans-identified um, will often talk about these things a little bit differently. Um, sometimes we're even in disagreement with each other. And that piece of the humility always feels really particular um, to these conversations and recognizing that. Um, partly so that, again, so that folks don't feel like they're coming away kind of finished with their education, but also um, really empowering non-trans folk to be part of the conversation and to contribute to the ways that we're talking about these things. And also um, so that we're not pitting trans folk against each other and sort of deciding who gets to be the, the expert. Um, who makes a particular determination and really just kind of settling into the complexity of all of it feels, it actually feels sort of exciting. I totally agree, Miller. It makes me think about that um, phrase, you know, getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I think um, this training kind of invites people to do that and tells them it's okay to not have all of the answers while I think genuinely getting people excited to learn more. So I just wanna say that one of the things that I think has been um, really frankly beneficial to me in my learning has been what I've learned from um, Louie and Miller and Annie was the conversation around biology um, that's introduced in this training. I would love to hear more about why that was so interesting to you all. Um, could you talk a little bit more about that? This is Miller. I feel like as folks are starting to better understand and talk more about the distinctions between what we call gender and what we think of as biology, it seems like we're creating a, a stronger and a better foundation in order to kind of get out a magnifying glass and focus in and take on biology in harder ways and to give gender maybe even more space to be vast and various without sort of getting inhibited or, or bumping up against this wall or this fence of biology. Um, it does feel really important to acknowledge that we have bodies, um, that these bodies are really different in lots of ways and also are sometimes similar to each other and can be grouped together in particular ways. And that we have bodies that we want to take care of and that we want to keep well. And it's even, I think, really easy and important and possible to acknowledge that our bodies, um, some of the ways that our bodies are similar have to do with things like hormones and chromosomes and genitals, but not always. And sometimes the way that we keep our bodies well has to do with these things. And I think particularly, I often think of the different ways that different bodies exhibit symptoms of heart attack. It feels important to talk about those differences and the ways that those differences happen across bodies that can be grouped together in similar ways. 
And it still feels unnecessary and really doable, um, unnecessary to assign gender to bodies and, and really doable to talk about those things without assigning gender to bodies. Um, we can still talk about our bodies, how to keep our bodies healthy and how to notice symptoms of um, dis-ease or unease um, without equating bodies with gender, if that makes sense. And I think that a lot of us would be more willing to get medical help and a lot of us would be more willing to get preventative care if we could go into those places and not have gender assigned to us during visits. And if we could go into those places and not be subjected to hostility or be subjected to the so-called um, healthcare providers discomfort with our bodies. And that feels true to me about a range of the ways that our bodies are different. We're talking about gender now, but I, that feels true to me in lots of um, different ways. I feel like bi biology gets used a lot by people who are passively or actively resistant to respecting gender self-determinism. But it also feels really important to dig in and separate biology more assertively from gender because of some of the probably accidental ways that a paternal tone, even by supportive language used, even by sort of ally type folks, this um, paternal tone that some of that language has started to take on. It's not just, as Karen mentioned earlier, it's not just trans and gender queer folks who have gender identities. It's not just trans and genderqueer folks who have preferred pronouns. Everyone has these things. Everyone has gender identities. Everyone has pronouns that they expect to hear and are comfortable using. And tons of non-trans people also are harmed by gender assumptions and by gender policing. And so it feels really important to undo this idea that there is this soft, permissive notion of gender that is culturally shaped, and then this hard scientific fact of biology or something folks call sex that is real. The way that we talk about bodies and biology is also culturally created. It's also something that's determined by our assumptions and the ways that we talk about bodies and gender and biology. And it feels really important. It feels really doable to relearn how we talk about bodies and the differences between bodies. We do need to make distinctions between people. And we do need sometimes to group people together, particularly when we're talking about gender-based violence, for example, or when we talk about HIV and AIDS and other really body-specific wellness strategies. And we really can relearn how to talk about differences and similarities between bodies without assigning gender to those bodies. And so for all of these reasons, Louie and Carrie, Karen, sorry, Louie and Annie and Karen and I have been talking a lot more in these trainings about the ways that so-called biological gender differences are way more suspect than we've been led to believe. And so we've been trying to unravel some of the basic obvious language stuff like words, like strength, 
and softness. Um, and then also how physical strength is defined and is assigned in ways that are actually culturally determined and culturally um, discussed. And then also really digging into and exposing how very non-binary our bodies are, even in terms of hormones and genitals and even chromosomes. Um. Miller, I think you know that I love when we do these trainings. This is like my favorite part to hear you talk about this because I think, um, you know, especially when we, I think people sort of generally accept that people have very different types of bodies. Um, but I think people get really intrigued when you start talking about chromosomes because I think folks very commonly think that, okay, there's like, two chromosomal chromosomal options. Um, and so I love the conversation um, that Miller often has around how many different uh, combinations of chromosomes there can be, but then also like, you know, do you know your makeup of chromosomes? Do you know yours? And nobody does. And yet we are assuming what it is based on other factors. And so it's just, I just think it's such a fascinating conversation and I love watching all the light bulbs go off um, as it's being had. We're assuming what our own and other people's chromosomes are. And then we're making all of these decisions and sort of forcing people to behave and to express themselves in particular ways based on these things that are assumptions, right? It's really fascinating. I really love that you all pointed out that everybody has a gender and gender identity. Everyone has pronouns. Um, and I think a big conversation that folks have been having lately um, and something we're seeing a lot in our field and in other fields is people including pronouns in their email signatures um, or maybe doing like a pronoun check-in at the beginning of a meeting or training. And I know um, as we were prepping for this training, you know, we had to have the conversation of, oh, do you usually share your pronouns, Jackie, when you do this podcast? And the answer was no. And so if you are a frequent listener moving forward, that's absolutely something we're going to start asking guests to do if they're comfortable sharing their pronouns with us. Um, and so I just want to kind of open up the conversation to talk about why this can be helpful and why it can be limited. So could you share a little bit more about the pros and cons of using pronouns with our listeners? Yeah, so this is Louie. Thanks, Jackie. And this really has to do a lot with some of that muddiness that Karen was starting us off uh, with when we were talking about what the training is. And so, yeah, just really briefly, in, you know, in a lot of spaces, these practices that you've, you've mentioned are becoming more common. And so a check-in, like a check-in um, about your pronouns might be something that listeners have experienced at the beginning, say, this is my name and these are the pronouns that I use. Um, maybe in virtual spaces, particularly during the pandemic, um, you've seen someone say, um, hey, if you want to change your name on Zoom, for an example, you can you can add your pronouns to your name on Zoom. And the email signature practice might be like including your pronouns next to your name or somewhere else in your signature block. Some people even put a link 
to some sort of article or educational info about why we might do that. So those are, those are the kinds of practices that we're talking about in case anyone's um, not familiar with how those can show up. And of course, these can be very helpful because um, doing these things can help normalize asking for pronouns. Um, it can lead to an opportunity for education about gender and about what pronouns are, um, about how we all have gender and about how we all use pronouns like both Karen and Miller have been mentioning throughout this conversation. And of course it can help emphasize that we all deserve the respect of others using our correct pronouns and, um, and how we shouldn't be making assumptions about what pronouns people use based on things like their appearance or their voice or their first name and so forth. So, but in this training and um, just in the conversations that we have about how we use these things in our own work, do these practices in our own work, we, we like to interrogate them. Um, not necessarily to question whether they're right or wrong or 100% the right thing to do on a checklist or something to never do, um, but just to think about how they function and where are they taking us and where are we going? Why are we doing these things? And so something that we see is the situation where a facilitator of a meeting or training will prompt a pronoun check um, only when they're aware that there's a trans person in the training or in the room, um, or when they're unclear about someone's gender. So that really undermines um, this thing that we know, some of these, these concepts that we've been talking about throughout and that I, that I highlighted just a second ago, that everyone has a gender, everyone uses pronouns, we should respect people by using their correct pronouns, and, um, and that we shouldn't make assumptions. So this kind of choosiness around when, when we initiate these practices um, is something worth interrogating. And um, there's also this, um, I don't know, almost slippery use of the word preferred. So sometimes we talk about preferred pronouns, and of course we all have preferences about, about all kinds of things. Um, but how we apply that word, sometimes what we've seen is that, um, you know, everyone has pronouns, but trans people and genderqueer people specifically have preferred pronouns, um, kind of similar to what others, I think probably both, both Karen and Miller mentioned in terms of like, everyone has gender, but trans people, they have gender identity. So it's sort of this paternalistic patronizing thing. Um, and yeah, so of course everyone has pronouns, and um, we really want to avoid talking in any kind of way that, that undermines that knowledge and that particularly undermines trans people. Um, again, that's just patronizing and it's just an incorrect way of framing pronouns and identity. So it comes from this place of assuming that, that non-trans identity is the correct way of being um, or the, the better way of being and that trans people are, are deviating from that. And that's, that's not what we want to do. So we don't want to do things that that reinforce that idea. Um, something that we've also talked about is the reality that when we've done pronoun check-ins or include pronouns in email signatures and so forth, um, then people still are getting misgendered after, after we've done these practices. So it's kind of like, you know, then what? Um, and something that, that happens then is that people in the meeting or the training or in the workplace where people are using these email signature practices don't make a correction and just like nothing happens. So, um, so then that leads us to question, are we really creating a safe and inclusive environment? Um, or are we just doing a performance of a practice that 
that we've heard can be helpful, that we know others in our fields are doing or whatever. Like we heard that we do a pronoun check-in. So now we, we do that at the beginning of our trainings, we check it off and then we move on. Um, and that's not the point, right? So these, these practices should be, should be getting us somewhere. They shouldn't be the end goal. So, so yeah, we just like to complicate, um, to complicate these practices, not to say they're bad and, and to, to shame anyone for doing them, but just to be more critical and to think of, of, um, of these practices as low bar kind of language. Um, you might even think about putting pronouns on a name tag, right? At like an in-person event, um, those kinds of things. So when, when that becomes the end goal, then it takes us further away from thinking about um, recognizing people's pronouns, using them, uh, using those pronouns and, um, and not making assumptions about pronouns and identity. Um, and yeah, we think that those are basic human expectations from which to build on and to work for fuller inclusion um, of and participation by trans folks and, and not that end goal that I've been talking about. So that's, that's just one specific way that we can um, talk about that muddiness that Karen got us started on and um, yeah, Miller, I think you wanted to add something to, to what we were talking about. Yeah, I like that. I like that you're talking about the muddiness. And again, and I feel like one of the things that we try to talk about are the ways that not all trans folk, not all non-binary folk or genderqueer folk are going to feel safe giving the pronouns that they use, that we use. And it, it's going to depend a lot of times on the context. I can think of in classrooms, for example, my girlfriend's a college professor and talks about how complicated it is to create a space where folks feel safe to do this, but often this is happening the first day of class when a, a, a student doesn't really know, is this a place where I'm able to really be myself? I see that the teacher wants, I, I, I feel that the teacher is allowing this and, and is creating the safety, but I don't know what the implications will be with these students, I don't know them. And sometimes folks will kind of, the professors will kind of just stop the, the conversation then and um, stop doing the figuring out how to create that safer place for folks to talk about those things. And I feel like it's one of the things I really want us to continue struggling with. How can we talk more about pronouns, create more, um, help folks to anticipate it more, help folks to expect it and not be surprised from it and not have, not sort of assign these special um, or these heightened meanings to it in ways that other folks or, or, create, or create targets on folks, but still recognizing that it's not always gonna work for everybody. It's, it's going to be sort of complicated in different ways that are about, um, not always about resistance and hostility to difference, but sometimes about our own safety and sense of safety in those places. And I was really glad to hear you talk, Louis, about needing to follow up after creating this opportunity for folks to provide pronouns, um, because it, it is my experience as a genderqueer person where um, folks, folks do know the pronouns that I use and still struggle sometimes to use those pronouns. And it's not, it's not sort of a perfect thing. I think that pronouns are really baked in in a way that it is hard 
and and we will struggle with them. I think even folks within uh, trans communities, non-binary, genderqueer communities, sometimes we struggle with non-binary folks and using they, them pronouns. There's like, there's a lot of folks struggling in different ways around this. Um, and it, it really does need to be engaged. Um, I, this feels important to me. I love it when folks talk about pronouns. I don't always want to give mine, but I really, I want, I want that opportunity to happen and it helps me to feel safer and we need to keep following up and continue the work because we're not sort of the same way that we don't do a training and now we know everything. We don't go around and do names and pronouns. And so now we're done with inclusion and respect in that meeting. And I know for some people, their pronouns can change from day to day or space to space, right? And so it doesn't mean just because you asked once that that will always be their pronouns, right? And I, I know something else that I've learned um, from you all and from this training and some other folks is if you just, if you don't know, you can use somebody's name to refer to them. And I feel like that is for me, I know being in training spaces and stuff, if people don't have their names come up or you can't tell, you can also describe the person, right? And just say the person in the blue shirt or the person with glasses, right? Rather than defaulting to saying like the woman in the blue shirt. Um, and so that actually happened in a training the other day that I was part of. And the um, facilitator very quickly caught themselves and was like, I'm so sorry that I'm doing that. Um, let me Let me rephrase and start over. And so I think... I know that when we mess up, we need to take accountability for that and then be able to do better in the future. So I guess I just want to open it up if there's anything else that folks want to add that they've learned about navigating navigating pronouns um, in different training spaces. Something that we do in the training is that we'll use this strategy of pronouns for now, which creates a space where we're going to talk about pronouns and allow folks to um, engage with it, whether they're, they have comfort or discomfort with it, but also creates a little bit of an out for folks to make decisions about their safety, as well as Jackie, what you just mentioned about um, how fluid uh, pronouns can be sometimes and gender identity can be sometimes. One of the strategies that um, I used in a training and it was with, you know, audiences, I think that have not maybe had as much exposure to training around um, trans, genderqueer, non-binary issues, you know, folks outside of our movement. And, you know, so we had done a training where we invited people to share pronouns and, you know, people were some of them actively resistant to doing so, um, you know, some people were clearly uncomfortable. Some people didn't even know like what their pronouns, like what a pronoun was to share. Um, and so, you know, we sort of strategized about, okay, how can we do this differently? And so one of the things we started then doing in subsequent trainings, because it was like the same training being offered multiple times, um, was we put some information on the table so that as people were coming in, they could read about pronouns, like why we're asking about them, why it's important. Um, and then what we found was that people had the opportunity to sort of like learn a little bit to understand, to not feel on the spot with something that maybe they hadn't heard before. Um, and we found that people seem to 
be more comfortable sharing seemed to um, to sort of understand why it was important a little bit better. And again, I think, you know, it depends on the audience, but that was something that was helpful in some of those spaces where we were finding um, that people just hadn't given it thought before, didn't understand, um, or were frankly uncomfortable, um, you know, because they hadn't experienced it before. That's a great suggestion. Thanks, Karen. So we, I have one final question that I'd love for all of you to answer. Um, when it comes to ending transphobia, how can listeners be proactive in their communities? Thanks, Jackie. I can start us off. I think um, just kind of building on this pronoun check-in conversation, I think it's good to, to bring this to your workplace and think, you know, is your workplace... Um, one of those that is telling people to put pronouns in email signatures if they want to, or they have to, or, or kind of just whatever, whatever's going on at your workplace. Um, bring this conversation about complicating that and, and thinking about like, okay, do we, do we then follow up and, and um, correct somebody when they're misgendering somebody or, or where is this getting us? But how are we, um, how are we bringing this practice into kind of a, um, a fuller understanding of um, creating a safe and welcoming and inclusive place with, with our trans colleagues. And um, I guess another thing that I'm thinking about is something that, that um, we've talked about internally at our LGBTQ work group um, is that if you're, you know, if you're in a position to do this, think about um, including transgender healthcare coverage when assessing which insurance provider your workplace will use. So just a couple workplace related thoughts since we're all in a workplace together and that's where that's where my mind is. Um, in this conversation, just think about how you can do these things at your workplace. This is Miller. I feel like because transphobia is really pervasive, it's, it's really ubiquitous and it's landing really particularly on uh, a, a subset of folks from within our trans communities. And so I feel like the more we think about race as part of uh, gender violence, the more we think about class as part of gender violence, the more we think about sexual propriety and sexual decency, um, the more we think about all of the ways that we make judgments about and assess the value of other humans, um, I feel like I don't want to make or pretend that trans violence or trans folk are a particular kind of folk. I do think that I want us to be thinking about not just the the trans kids in schools that feel sort of safe and palatable and okay to talk about and really engage with the breadth of violence that's being done and the folks who really are bearing a disproportionate amount of the violence. So when we talk about ending transphobia, that we're really talking about uh, that in broad ways that encompass um, 
the, the folks who are hurting the most, I think. I'm realizing that I'm talking about safe and I, and I want to acknowledge that um, a lot of this is, is about what feels safer and that kids in schools are at risk as well and in danger as well. I think I'm just trying to get at the ways that, um, the ways that it can feel more comfortable or safer to talk about trans identity and trans um, respect and really getting folks to, to challenge some of that and to engage with the more, uh, with the broader communities. Miller, I feel like I was thinking similarly and thank you for sort of talking about it. I think more eloquently that I'm able to put it together in my brain, but I'm thinking about particularly within our field um, in the work that we do, you know, Jackie, you've done such a great job of making connections between forms of oppression and how you know they are the roots of sexual violence. And I think you know really honing in on that, particularly for those of you know the folks in the audience that work, are working at rape crisis centers, but also you know no matter where your workplace is or you know whatever community you're existing within, you know really thinking about how can we ensure that we are um, taking into account and including you know, trans folks in the work that we're doing, whether that's developing policies or picking healthcare providers, whether that's developing trainings, whether that's on boards of directors, um, in positions of power within our organizations, within our government, et cetera, et cetera. You know, the more that we can be hearing from trans and non-binary and genderqueer folks, the more that they can be, you know, leading the efforts, um, you know, whether it's in the sexual violence movement or in other fields, you know, I think the more that we're going to be able to um, adapt our practices and adapt the work to be more inclusive and to, again, get at, you know, the point that we haven't been doing a very good job of that so far and really honing in on the value that all people have. Um, and, you know, again, just sort of bringing folks to the center of the conversation. And so I think, you know, very personally making sure that the spaces that we're all in are including trans and genderqueer and non-binary folks that we're, you know, inviting people to have, um, not just a voice, but a leadership role in, in doing the work that we're doing and informing the work that we're doing. Thank you all so much for this conversation. I know I learned a lot um, and I hope our listeners did too. So I just want to say thank you again for joining us today to talk about your experience training on trans topics and really how we can be part of the solution to end transphobia. Thanks for having us, Jackie. This was a fun conversation. Love to be doing this work with Karen and Miller and, um, and with our field. Yeah, thanks, Jackie. Always great to be with Louie and Miller. Thanks, Jackie. Thanks to everyone for listening. All right, everyone. That's all the time we have today, but thank you for listening to this episode of PA Centered. If you need support around anything we've talked about today, you can contact us at info at pcar.org.
If you or a loved one needs help, a local sexual assault center is available 24-7. Call 1-888-772-7227 for more information or find your local center online at pcar.org. Together, we can end sexual violence. Any views or opinions expressed on PA Centered by staff or their guests are solely their own and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of PCAR or PCAR's funders.